If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. This is the Everything 80s Podcast, Episode 8. Was the E.T. Atari video game the worst game of all time? Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast, brought to you by Everything 80s Podcast. Com. I'm Jamie, and we're looking today at what I think is one of the most interesting subjects to come out of pop culture and the whole 1980s, and it looks at the collapse of the video game industry, and we're talking about the E.T. Atari video game today. Was it the worst game of all time? Why was it so bad? What happened? What was the downfall? I got everything in this episode, but before we start, make sure, if you haven't already, subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, wherever I should be there. If you're listening on YouTube, you can subscribe there, and that way you get the shows automatically sent to you. I don't have to hand deliver them. Everybody's happy. Okay, let's get right into this. So if this is all new to you, you're going to learn a lot here, but here's a quick little summary. We're talking about all you know, bad video games and things like that. Did one actually rise above them all? And this is the Atari ET video game, which has been considered one of the worst of all time, if not the worst. And it's been associated with destroying Atari and bringing an entire industry to its knees. It's now really become the stuff of legend. There's renewed interest in it. There was a new documentary that came out uh, called Game Over, I believe, about the mass burial of all these unsold cartridges in the desert in a landfill crazy okay but let's go back and look at setting the stage for the et video game so i'm pretty sure if you're listening to a show like this i'm pretty sure video games have played a role in your life even in a small capacity whether you played a coleco pong game or you were around for the golden era of the atari you only got started on the original NES and, but you know, these video games were a core part of the eighties. I remember when the original Nintendo came out, it was absolutely mind blowing. I, I, I played Atari, but I never owned an Atari. Our neighbor had one. So I still got to use it like it was my own. It did the trick because, you know, with home-based entertainment at the time, nothing really looked like what you were playing uh, you know, as far as the packaging and the artwork, they made these games look a lot better. With Nintendo, that would change where the graphics started to really catch up and really be able to be more expansive and create more of these worlds. But with Atari, it was like very primitive. And even at the time, it was hard to look at, you know, the picture on the cartridge and try to imagine that's what you're going to be playing when it's just like a series of little like cubes and triangles and stuff like that. And you know, but like they set Atari set the stage for home gaming and it was the absolute king. And the story of this whole ET video game thing is a combination of a lot of things. As far as a giant company goes, we're looking at, you know, arrogance, short sightedness, 
just just the thought that you're always going to be, you know, at the top of the mountain and that nothing's going to derail you. And though it it might not have been directly responsible, and I think a lot of people will say that about the ET Atari video game, it probably did set in motion or or continued a series of events that brought the whole video game industry to its knees. And we'll cover all that here, but we'll start. I mean, everyone knows ET. It was released in 1982 by Steven Spielberg. I don't even know why I have to mention that, but I'm just going along with it. Told the story of an alien that was stranded on earth, trying to get home, basically paved the way for Alf six years later. And the story has some roots in the divorce of uh, a young Spielberg and what his parents went through and how he conjured up an imaginary friend to keep him company during that rocky time. And that's really at what the basis of ET is all about. So it comes out on June 12th in 82. It's immediately a blockbuster. Most people don't realize, but it actually surpassed star Wars and became the highest grossing film of all time. And it actually held that for 11 years, which is crazy until it was knocked off by another Spielberg movie, Jurassic park, which then broke the record, but amazing that it held on that long. I don't know if people remember that necessarily still considered one of the best movies ever made. It was nominated for nine Oscars, won four of them pretty good. They actually, I didn't know this until I was researching things a little more. They had a sequel plan that Spielberg actually wrote. He had it all done and it was going to be called ET Two: nocturnal fears. This is very, this is a real thing. So the plot was going to be based around Elliot and his friends being kidnapped by evil aliens, and it would follow their attempts of contacting E.T. for help, kind of like the bodyguard with Whitney Houston, but set in space. But Spielberg eventually bailed on it, thinking it would rob the original of all its greatness. And I mean, he's probably right. It, it's hard to think like how good that it could have been. I mean, the, the technology would be a little more advanced. His storytelling would be advanced. The you know, things like the cinematography. And I think they would build on it. I don't know if Spielberg was a guy to necessarily derail something that, but it's hard to tell what would happen. And that's what makes these things interesting is sort of the what if scenario. But ET2, nocturnal fear, fears, who knows? It might have destroyed the whole thing. We never know. But, you know, like any big movie franchise, merchandising played a big role in the spread of the movie. And the concept of re- releasing a video game started to present itself. And this is, this is new. Like this, I mean, this is common today. Any movie or TV show that comes out now automatically somehow somehow has a video game associated with it. But it, this isn't common practice in '82. Example: Here are some actual movie-based video games. These are all real. Beetlejuice has a video game. Austin Powers does. Wayne's World, the video game. The Blair Witch Project. Bram Stoker's Dracula is in video game four. And I'm not making this up. White men can't jump. Got a video game treatment. So let's look at the development of the E.T. Atari video game. It was designed by a guy named Howard Scott Warshaw, and he was the whole guy behind it all. He was the creator before that of the insanely popular Yars Revenge. And he actually had made a movie-based video game before, and it was another Spielberg movie. It was Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. And this was actually the very first movie adapted into a video game and it was a massive massive success so it would make sense that spielberg and company would go this route again and they would obviously turn to warshaw to design it because this guy is 
killing it. All everything I think everything that he had made was selling at least a million cartridges, no problem. Plus a ton more on top of that. So when he first made the Raiders game, it took ten months because that includes writing code, uh, getting feedback from the people at Atari, but also the studio and Spielberg, and then. It, that period would involve reprogramming it, uh, putting it through quality control, doing bug checks. This is actually 10 months at the time is a very fast turnaround time to produce a video game. So keep that in mind. So here's the big problem from that year, getting any form uh, again, 1982, we're getting into 1983. And the big problem is getting any form of video game out by Christmas is absolutely paramount no surprise there whether it's you know a movie release onto blu-ray or video game new toy releases you obviously have to have things ready to go for the christmas season and they know this but spielberg and atari are haggling it out over money for months trying to come up with a deal because they know how much money there's to be made they don't want to do it for too cheap, but they, you know, Spielberg sticking to his guns. They're taking months to negotiate this and it's cutting into the game design. So by the end of all this, they had five weeks to make the Christmas deadline. And this guy Warshaw though said he could do it. He had, it, this is insane looking about, he had 36 hours to come up with the concept of the game and the, infrastructure and the play and how it's going to work and all this stuff. And Spielberg wanted something that was like Pac-Man and he wanted E.T. to have, you know, going around eating Reese's pieces and stuff like that. But Warshaw, you know, seeing it as a challenge, he's already made these successful games. He wants to make something more elaborate and it involves E.T. being able to go into different worlds as opposed to stuck on one screen like so many other games were. He's, you know, thinking outside the box right now. E.T. would be able to travel in many directions, you know, these multiple screens and worlds, but he'd also be able to descend and fall down into pits, and that would take him to different locations. Spielberg eventually signs off on the game, and now Warshaw is completely under the gun. He's so tight for time. I mean, he knew this. He knew what he was signing on for, but he had to have a console installed at his house, so he was basically working on it 24-7. And when you listen to interviews with him, he had a a guy that was, um, I guess they called him, it would be like a personal assistant, but it, the guy's job was basically scheduling him. So he would book in time. So he like would tell, Warshaw's working like a robot at this point. He's just taking instructions and doing it. So they'd be like, you have to sleep now. And then he would sleep. And you'd only sleep like three hours a night or something like that. Or like, okay, you have to eat now that you're going to go to the bathroom. Like it was all that regimented to keep him on track. And he's that focused. But he does it. He completes a video game in five weeks. So now the hype for the game is is building up. And we're looking at a time when it's easier to advertise to people because there's only a handful of networks and there's no distractions with internet and YouTube and streaming services. And, and it's, it's so hard to get your products and your content in front of people these days. But back then it's a lot easier because with only a couple networks, there's a good chance eventually people are going to see it because that's all there is to watch. So they put out a incredible super, if you want like Christmas nostalgia, watch the E.T. commercial from 1982. It's a Christmas commercial. E.T.'s coming in 
dressed like Santa. This thing is just pinnacle 1980s comfort Christmas nostalgia all wrapped into one. You can look it up or if you go to the show notes today. So that's where I put all the detail for this. It's got the entire article. It's got more pictures, detail, video. So that's everything80spodcast.com slash eight. If you're listening on YouTube, there'll be a link down below. But Or it, you know, if you're on YouTube, just look up the ET video game commercial. It's just, it's so... <laughs> charming and like everything you love about Christmas all into one Christmas magic commercial. But what the main thing is the hype is next level. If you're a kid, you're already excited about Christmas. You already like ET. You see these two things combined. You're, you're freaking out. So it's obviously going to be one of the most asked for things that year. So it comes out, like I said, I didn't have Atari then, but my neighbor did and he got it for Christmas. So it was essentially like I got it for Christmas and I remember very distinctly playing it. And now that gets into the actual gameplay problems. If you've played this before, you know, or if you've seen the documentary or if you've seen anything to do with it, you're kind of familiar with how it works. If not, again, I'd recommend looking up just the gameplay. And, you know, everyone's hype. My neighbor gets it. The packaging looks incredible. The artwork looks amazing. You're thinking like you're about to play like the actual movie. And then... You remember how frustrating it was. It was so unplayable. It was so aggravating. Any move you made or that you thought you were dropped down pits, you were returned to different spots. You had no control really over the gameplay. And I don't know what's a more appropriate word, disappointing or frustrating or both. And all I remember is my neighbor who loved everything, he really had trouble hiding his dissatisfaction for it. And the problem is it comes, I say frustration is the main thing, especially for a kid, because it's not only that, it's confusing as hell. If you've played it, you, all you know is you have to collect some pieces of a telephone to put it together to phone home, get it? And you have to avoid government agents trying to catch you as ET as you're controlling them. So since there, there are multiple worlds and you can go in every direction, there's no flow to the game. It, there's no progress. It's not like, Mario or whatever, where you're continuously moving from left to right. And I think that's one of the big problems right off the bat. The other thing that sucked is you were always screwing up, like really no fault of your own. Like if you're falling into these pits, you're moved out of the pit and then into a screen that makes you fall instantly back down it again. It's, it's one thing if it's your own mistake and it's your own fault, but when you have no control, you just, you don't know what the hell you're doing. And you're coming back to the same screens and it's infuriating and the pieces of phones are, they're scattered in the pits. And then you had an energy bar that would drop every time ET would move or fall in a, one of the pits. And then, but you could find a Reese's pieces or Reese's piece. Is that right? To restore some of the energy and build it back up. So uh, the thing is you just, it was the progress issue. You never knew where you were at. And that's my initial memories. And all I remember is my neighbor again, giving up on it really quickly and going back to playing something like we play like adventure or Pac-Man or, you know what I mean? Like I think if there's a challenge, kids will generally stick with a game providing that the gameplay is good. The idea is it should be leaving you. It should leave you wanting more and you should want to overcome it. And you want those 
chat like you you know any game like that you can think of that was like a challenge to you because you know you could do it you were just a little bit short but you knew you could do it this you had no idea you didn't think you could do it you didn't know what you were even doing and you know if i'm feeling this way and my neighbor who loves anything is feeling this way and giving up and playing back in another game does that mean kids all over the country and north america are doing the same thing and it turns out yes they were <laughs> so Here's the initial response to the E.T. video game. Even if kids hated it, and they did, there was no way to share this. There's, even if the internet and texting existed, like, or there was YouTube channels, most eight-year-olds aren't going to have access to that anyway. So a lot of the downfall comes because of word of mouth on playgrounds. Kids like, oh, that game's not good. It's like, I I didn't like it. But that's still going to take a while. So the thing is, E.T. was a success because there was so much hype to the game that the initial sales were super strong. And E.T. was at the top of the charts for video games, reaching number four in the top 15 that year. And it sold a million and a half copies, which is huge. But they made four million of them. So here's the problem. Retailers started reporting E.T.'s not meeting expectations sales-wise. That's concerning. Low sales combined with now all this excess inventory adding to that kids hating it and then it's being returned you've got this perfect storm of retail hell basically and there are some reports that there were more et video game cartridges made than there were atari units i don't know how true that was but here's the problem you've now got a huge movie that is universally loved and praised and the video game version which kids are like using as tennis balls and like kicking and using as a hockey puck or a frisbee. A lot of money was put into the licensing of this game and they're not seeing the returns. I can't remember the exact figures, but we're talking, I don't know for like five, six million. I don't know. It was a massive amount, especially considering this is the early eighties. So they're not seeing the returns here just because of the sales and people returning. And now there's becoming a real negative association with ET in general, and it would actually get worse. <laughs> so here's the backlash and leading into the downfall of Atari, who have been on top of the world. They're basically they're the only game in town, really, and they could put out any piece of crap they wanted. What were you going to go do? Like go play Nintendo or Sega? Those did not exist yet. So other competitors were starting to enter the market, like. You know, the NES would come out in 1985, but it wasn't the main factor uh, that connected to the whole failure of the E.T. video game because it was later on. But the whole industry, well, Atari specifically, ended up losing $536 million in 1983. E.T. was giving the Atari 2600 a bad name and people were starting to distance themselves from the console. Like you think Nintendo beat them out. Nintendo's not there yet. This is all because of kind of the fallout of one game. And it was said that the failure of the ET video game was responsible for ending, like completely ending the Atari, Atari 2600. And like I was just saying before that they weren't the only game in, in town until Nintendo would come out because you had the Atari 5200, you had ColecoVision, you had the Odyssey, you had Intellivision, you had the Coleco Gemini. You had, I don't know if you remember this, the Sears telegame system 
which sounds awful. So it's not like they are alone, but they're like, you know, king of the mountain here. And all this is combining to be, you know, give Artari the association of putting out absolute garbage. And now you add to this that the home computer is starting to take off. You now have the Apple One and the Commodore 64, which were much more advanced machines and capable of so much more than just playing a game. And the big move happens when these computers cut their prices in half, specifically the Commodore 64. So now, with, now these things are more affordable. Why would you buy a video game system when you could get a better value home computer that played video games too? You know, I, it's, it's just, again, it's this combination of perfect storm and retail, retail hell and alternatives. And Atari wasn't necessarily um, anticipating this. So now you can, you combine the flood of crappy Atari games around the market and the monumental failure of the ET video game. And it's, you know, whether it's directly responsible, it, there's a snowball effect that's happening um, on the Atari and the video game industry and whole uh, in whole, because, you know, Atari's leading the way they're setting the standard. Everyone's having to follow what they do. Everyone else has to do. And they were just allowing uh, at the time, anyone could kind of put out an Atari game and release it. Like if you had the technology and the capability, they really didn't have any codes of conduct and standards to meet. And like how the Nintendo would have the Nintendo seal of quality. So games had to have approval and and have to go through, you know, strenuous testing and just so it could stand up to the Nintendo brand. Atari never had this. So besides ET, there's all these crappy games that they're like, we don't know what these are. And people are playing like, this is a piece of crap. They're getting rid of it. It's all just affecting Atari as a whole. It's starting to, like I said, they're within a year, they're losing almost half a billion dollars. Retailers are now starting to stock less Atari video games. And essentially the sales drop from 3.2 billion in 1982 to only a hundred million in 1985. Atari's value ended up dropping by 1.3 billion and the shares lowered from $54 to $34. Even in 1982, the revenue was cut by 50% and they thought that was going to be the worst of it. But <laughs> the company, they, you know, they thought it would just get through because they were the, the big, the big cat, the big dog. The company would end up being uh, divided up and then sold in 1984. That's how quick all this happened. So now we're looking, you know, looking back at the T video game, the renewed interest, the game over documentary. Like I said, with the introduction of the Nintendo entertainment system in 1985, video games would experience a real renaissance and this would change everything forever. But it's funny to think of a time where video games were pretty much done and no one wanted anything to do with them. Retailers, um, companies like Hasbro and Mattel who had been involved and were investing money or got so screwed over they didn't want anything to do with it. And there was actually a lot of hesitation in launching Nintendo and because they just thought that kids didn't care anymore. And it's funny to think of a time where they actually thought kids weren't going to care about video games. But again, uh, I have another episode all about Nintendo and you can learn more about the history, but they saved an entire industry and revitalized the whole thing. They would lead a whole new generation of video games and consoles. Um, but, you know, they would save it but Atari and the ET video game would fade into the background 
And that's where some of the urban legends around the E.T. Atari video games start to grow. The years go by and people look back on this game um, as being the worst game ever created. And then there was this. And this is a random throwaway article that appeared in the Alamogordo Daily News from New Mexico in September 1983. And it made mention, just this random little snippet article, it mentioned about 10 to 20 semi-trailer truckloads hit their local dump carrying Atari boxes and cartridges from their warehouse in El Paso, Texas. It was reported that all of this was crushed and buried in the city landfill. Atari wouldn't say what was in this giant dumping, but it was reported that it contained a majority of the nearly 3.5 million unsold ET Atari video games. And again, if you, I have that whole article, if you want to look um, up on the show notes, and there's also this article from the New York times, which I linked up. So everything 80s podcast.com slash eight. And this New York times article from 1983 shares the same story in case you didn't trust the Alamogordo Daily News, um, you can check it out. So somehow, you know, this story is left alone. But I don't know how it remained in the conscious of video game nerds, and it grows into this urban legend about this dumping of the E.T. video games. And then the story grows and grows, and then in uh, 2013, an entertainment-based company called Fuel Industries was allowed to evacuate the burial site. And... In the early hours of excavation, E.T. cartridges started being discovered, and it's documented in the amazing Atari Game Over documentary. I don't know if it's still on Netflix, because I looked not long ago and it wasn't, but that was a Canadian one. It might be available in the American one. It might even be on YouTube, the whole thing. But, like, amazing story of this uh, pilgrimage to the New Mexico desert and to see if this urban legend was true, and, you know, they found they found cartridges and they found other stuff. And, you know, and if you don't think this whole situation is relevant in December, 2014, the Smithsonian added one of those excavated cartridges to their collection in 2015, the Henry Ford museum, for some reason, added several of those excavated cartridges and the dirt and some of the items of clothing worn by the excavation team. I don't know why the Henry Ford museum is doing this, but it's, you know, it's culturally, significant and this whole dig and the story's true and i don't know watch atari game over if you have your you know what i'm talking about but it's a good you don't even have to like video games or anything to do with this it's still a very good documentary so i'll start wrapping up here i this whole story of the video game is a, a classic it's a great example of companies well specifically one company getting too cocky for their own good and the fallout that can happen and it's also an amazing story how eight-year-olds who basically don't give a crap about these, you know, this garbage being shoved down their throats help start off this movement that took down a whole, in, a whole industry, even though it was inadvertent. Just that word of mouth and they're like, nah, this sucks. That, can, that, that word just can destroy an entire business. And it did. And, you know, the E.T. video game is probably not the worst video game ever. To me, though, from what I've played, I could say that it is. But then again, I've not played every game, and there's ones you probably think are much worse and whatever. But if if it's not the worst game, it's probably the most disappointing game in history. I think that's fair to say. 
And it's just, it was so uneventful. It was so frustrating. And that's the things that stick out to me. You know, there's, there's nothing worse for companies than indifference by their customers. But in this case, you know, it leads to the downfall of a company, an entire industry, and has a real place in pop culture history. Okay, so that's it for me. Thanks for listening. Hope you found this interesting. I just, I think it's a very interesting subject and ties in together a lot of these amazing things from the 80s. So if you haven't already, like I said, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I should be there. Then they're automatically sent to you each week. If you really like the show, give it a rating and review. That way more people get to see it and that works out for everyone. If you're listening on YouTube, you can subscribe and like it and all that fun stuff. Only if you want. I'm okay if you don't. And honestly, just thank you for taking the time. I know there's so many podcasts out there. So the fact you're spending your time listening to this one means a lot. Okay, I'm out. See you soon.